0: All right, um, so we are here at Moser. I'm very excited that our studies are barely going to be interrupted by the holidays because all of the holidays are on Shabbat and Sunday this year. Uh, the only day that we will not have class is the first week of October because that will be in the middle of Sukkot and all of my kids will be home. And so I'm going to take off that one week. Um, And then also I will just mention that at the end of October I'm traveling to Israel so I will God willing be missing one class uh, for that. Other than that we are here so that's nice. Um, You know it's always the luck of the draw as far as the day of the week when the holidays all decide to pop themselves into the calendar. Hello Lisa and Dina and Laura and everybody. All right let us begin. So we are on The book of Mishlei, the book of Proverbs, page 182. And we're talking today about being a good friend, which is always a very relevant conversation to have. Um, All right, so let's get started. We're going to do 17 and 18 together as the Malbim, the commentary puts them together. That means that he considers them to be a unit and a theme. So that's why we do them together. All right. Verse 17. Oh, one more thing that I wanted to say, which I posted in the WhatsApp chat, which is that our High Holidays are coming up. Um, and for those of you who are local, we would love to see you. So please feel free to join us. If you're not local, you're invited to Cleveland to join us for the holidays. <laughs> okay. 17. Bechal ohev the A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Okay. Eighteen. Adam chasar lev tokea kaf. A person without a self-disciplining heart clasps hands. Becoming surety, meaning collateral, in the presence of his neighbor. So we're talking here about making a connection like a brother and or a sister, you might say. Um, hi Cindy. And actually, um, I have I have to tell you guys, those of you who are in this call, I'm gonna give you a little sneak peek. So, as some of you know, I speak on Rosh Hashanah and on Yom Kippur. We're actually having an unbelievable speaker on Yom Kippur. Her name is Devori Kreinman, and she wrote a book called Even If I'm Not. It's a book about the loss of her children, and it's unbelievably powerful. So she's coming on Yom Kippur. On Rosh Hashanah, so this is a book. It's called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Um, That I read recently. Actually, I listened to it on audio. It's called a, a leadership fable. And it's a story about a fictitious company called Decision Tech and about how this new CEO comes in and tries to really get the group to connect as a team. And through the fable, the book reveals what the author considers to be the five dysfunctions of a team. So I am using this book as a basis for my talk on Rosh Hashanah, which is about the team called the Jewish people. And what are the five dysfunctions of the Jewish people? And more importantly, what can we do to be a part of the solution? And that maybe that can be part of our resolution for the upcoming year to put in our effort to make sure that we as a Jewish people are a stronger and better team. So it's ironic and of course, providential that our teaching today is talking about just that, about being connected to your fellow Jew and being a good friend and being a good brother and sister. And it's interesting because the word used here, the Hebrew word used here in verse 18, becoming surety or collateral in the presence of his neighbor. So this word, a rave, which means to be, um, which means like, a, a. uh, an aravon is collateral, right? Let's say that I, I'm taking out a loan, so I need a guarantor, right? Somebody who's going to co-sign on the loan for me and essentially put up their own money as collateral in case I default on the loan, right? So that word, a rave, which means a guarantor, it also means to be, it also means to take responsibility. And there's a teaching in the Talmud that says, all of Israel, are what it what it actually means is are responsible for one another but what the word literally means are ravine it means all of israel are guarantors for one another that means that we're all expected to take responsibility for each other it's not good enough to say well it's not my problem i didn't do it well if it's a fellow jew then that's your brother and that's your sister and their problem is your problem so um you know, one of the ways that we do this is to tr- really try to come together as a nation and understand we and we feel this, you know, to some degree, certainly when a Jew, when a Jewish person does something that we're proud of, we feel proud, right? That's because why that's my person. If a Jew wins a Nobel prize or, you know, a Jew does something really cool or volunteers or does something, you know, uh, philanthropic or humanitarian for the humanitarian good i feel proud why that's my brother that's my sister i'm feeling a sense of nachas by the same token if a jew does something bad we feel embarrassed because it's not just about them that's my problem if a jew does something bad you know i don't know how many of you have seen this new movie you're so not invited to my bat mitzvah so this new movie came out on did any of you see it by chance
1: not yet
0: not so, yet so yeah So I didn't even know about it. And then somebody came over to me in shul and told me about it. They're like, you should see it. You would love it. So the first thing I think of is a Netflix movie about bat mitzvahs is probably going to be embarrassing because, and again, I didn't see it. I actually heard some more positive reviews of late, but like these over the top Jews associated with wealth you know, materialism. I'm like, "Ah, is this good for the Jews? (laughs) You know, like I feel this sense of responsibility for what is right. Ashonda for the Jews. I feel a sense of responsibility for what is put out there about Jews because that reflects on me. And actually I have to tell you guys the funniest story. Yes. uh, A couple days ago, I was at Mitchell's, which is an ice cream store in town and um, my husband and I were there so when I go places with my husband I'm completely not anonymous as a Jew I'm 100% out as a Jew so we're standing there in the ice cream store he orders his ice cream I order my ice cream we move down the line to pay and as he's paying there's a woman standing next to me she's a black woman you know assume assume assumed not Jewish and she says to me hey I saw she was like trying to talk to me. And I I was thinking, you know, sometimes Jews try to bagel me, like they try to let me know that they're Jewish, you know, especially if there's my husband and his kippah and me and my scarf. And I'm like, this is interesting. Is she trying to bagel me? And then she says to me, you know, that movie, You're So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) yeah. She's like, I saw it. I'm like, great. She goes, It was really good. I really, really liked it. Like she was giving me a compliment. Like I made the movie, like me and Adam Sandler were tight, you know? (laughs) And I was like, this is so fascinating. Even if we don't realize that we're all guarantors for another, other people look at us that way. That's my movie because I'm Jewish, you know? And she wanted to tell me that she liked it. So she likes me. She likes my people, you know? fascinating. Mm. So that's really what these verses are about. It's about feeling that responsibility and feeling that connectedness and making sure that you are a good guarantor for your people. Okay. Okay,
2: Did you see Oppenheimer? I did not. So I I found it fascinating. My sister-in-law saw it before me. And then afterwards I was like, did you notice that like for the two like main people, they had to mention in an in a roundabout way that they're Jewish huh. and that they weren't behaving necessary. Someone wasn't behaving, uh, nicely. And I was like, they didn't mention like Kennedy, they brought in who was known as right, the first Catholic president that we ever had. And they didn't even mention that, but for the Jewish people, I was like, it wasn't lost on me that they had to
0: say you mean you mean with the assumption being that you should behave because you're jewish
2: no i just think it's like we want everyone to know that this guy was a total jerk and he's jewish oh like, I, don't, I don't know that's what it felt like to me like why did they have to like they don't even know about this interaction that actually took place like the dialogue of these two people like first meeting right and that it was thrown in about like a bar mitzvah I don't even remember what it was so
0: interesting you know I find that even with fictitious characters like I've been watching this Mm -hmm. lawyer show the Lincoln lawyer Mm -hmm. and there's this one character in this lawyer show his name is David Siegel I mean really um (laughs) his nickname is David Legal Siegel so I'm like watching this character like a hawk what are they trying to say about him how are they portraying him is he a good guy in the show? He happens to be a good guy in the show. He's like this benevolent mentor type, you know? And I'm like, okay, good. You guys are doing fine so far. Watch your back. <laughs> I'm watching you carefully, you know? Like this fictitious character. Of course, I Google the actor and the actor is Jewish, whatever. I do that all the time. Um, but you know what? I want to make sure that my people has positive representation. Those are my people, Right. I feel a sense of ownership and they're my people, whether they're real or fake. So, all right. Hello, Allison. Okay. Commentary. So I'm just going to reread you the English translation of the verses because that was a long time ago. (laughs) Okay. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity a person without a self-disciplining heart clasps hands, becomes surety, which is collateral, in the presence of his neighbor. Okay, here's the commentary. The definition of a true friend is that he loves a person constantly, right? This is what it means to have unconditional love, right? I don't just love you when you behave. I don't just love you when you're a good person, right? I've, I've seen this meme going around where it, it quotes the verse from the Torah, you shall love your neighbor as yourself right, which refers to a fellow Jew. You shall love your fellow Jew as yourself. And then I've seen this like kind of original translation, which says, you shall love your neighbor even when he's not like yourself. So, right, even when somebody's not acting well or not acting like you would want them to. Hi, Larissa. So the definition of a true friend is that he loves a person constantly, even more in times of trouble when he should be like a brother, ready for any sacrifice, right? So what does a sibling do? And the Jewish people are all considered brothers and sisters. And I tell this to my kids literally all the time, a sibling shows up for each other. And it doesn't mean that you like them and it doesn't mean that you agree with them. You, you can love them and not like them. That's fine, <laughs> right? The, sometimes we don't like the people we love all the time. But when push comes to shove, you show up. You show up for each other, right? It's like this line I heard. A sibling is somebody that you would give your kidney to, but not your phone charger. (laughs) Which is very true. Okay. So you show up like a brother, ready for any sacrifice. Yet it is improvident and senseless, even for such a loving friend. This is a bit of a novel interpretation. Even for such a loving friend to clasp hands, give a firm handshake, right? So what this means, a handshake represents like a business agreement. It doesn't necessarily mean that you should go into a business agreement with this person. Okay, right? You're my brother. I love you. Don't necessarily know if it's smart for us to go into business together, right? I think I will love you more if we're not business partners. So a handshake represents a business agreement. Give a firm handshake to go surety and become immediately responsible for his friends' business debts and commitments. This is to act without a heart. So that's what it says, a person without a self-disciplining heart, um, without foreseeing the future. So this kind of being responsible for one another, caring about one another. My brother is, my my fellow Jew is, is my person and I care about them, right? But that, but also, and also at the same time, it means that we have to be careful. You can't blindly trust somebody just because they're That's a Jew, right? Unfortunately, we have seen that sometimes people are not. You know, we we wish that we could trust somebody just because they're Jewish. But unfortunately we've seen that that's not the case. That's not necessarily true. So all the while that we're connected and we were responsible and I care about you and you're my brother. I also have to be wise and judicious about who I'm actually giving my, you know, my personal sense of uh, my, what what's the word, my stamp of approval on, Right financially and who i am willing to give money to you know and it's it's so interesting when you think about it because coming from a muser perspective and examining our character traits right some people are naturally more generous and trusting and some people are naturally more suspicious and cynical and so here you might have a person who's naturally very trusting right and they might say oh my friend asked me to co-sign on his loan of course i did what he's my brother i, I know him since kindergarten right well, the second half of the verse is for that person. Just because you love him and he's like a brother doesn't necessarily mean that he's the person that you should put your signature to. Because, you know, sometimes you just, and, and people, a lot of these, like the, this kind of character trait, you want to be nice, but sometimes you're too nice and sometimes you're too trusting and sometimes you're too naive and you have to understand that there are risks. The other The other like kind of opposite kind of character trait, right, is the person who's like, what? No, I would never co-sign on a loan. I would never, no, I no, I don't think I'm, you know, I'm not going to give that person a loan. They need to figure it out for themselves, right? So that person has to pay more attention to the first half of the verse. Be a brother. That's your person. You have to take responsibility for one another. So as with all character traits, the goal is to come to a nice, healthy balance in the center where you're neither too trusting nor not trusting enough, where you're neither too naively generous nor too suspicious. You want to have a healthy balance with this kind of dynamic. Okay. Hello to Susan and Debbie. All right. So thoughts, comments, questions on 17 and 18.
2: Ruchi, is it implying that there, it's not just that you
0: may um, regret it if you lend money to a friend or something like this or but also that it can complicate the relationship if you mix business and pleasure or or it's interesting that you mentioned that this verse does not specifically say that it could impact the relationship but it does it does say i think the main the main point of this um the main point of this teaching is that it could it could be a very bad decision for you, right? But when you when it says um a person without a self-disciplining heart clasps hands, the Talmud explains that as without foreseeing the future. Now, so that's left open to interpretation, meaning that the person is not truly considering the ramifications of their decision to go into a business relationship with a person that they don't know well enough you know whether they're going to be trustworthy. So I mean I I could see both of those both of the things you mentioned in those words meaning either the future means that it will bring financial ruin on you and or even if it doesn't bring financial ruin on you just the stress of being in this kind of financial relationship with this person could ruin your relationship. I think both of those things can be understood within the verse though so neither of them is said overtly. Thanks. I always think about this when I see um, family members going into business together, like I can almost hear the foreboding music in my head, you know, I hate to say it, but I, I am a little bit more cynical and suspicious in my nature. And I'm always like, oh, that, that sounds like a really bad idea, you know? And unfortunately I've seen it happen, you know, whether it's family members or good friends who go into business together. And then there's a lot of stress that happens and it can be really complicated, um, one of the most beautiful things I ever heard about my grandfather, of blessed memory, was at his funeral. He and my great uncle, the two brothers-in-law, had been in business together for many years in the, the, kosher, uh, the kosher meat business, and his, my great uncle spoke at the funeral, and what he wanted to say about my grandfather is that in all the decades that they had been in business together, they never got into a dispute. And he said, the reason for that, my great uncle said, the reason for that is not because of me, it's because of him, that he, his main focus was on peace. His name was Shalom, which is amazing. Cause that was, he was really, really, really a man of peace. And, and so many of the things I share about peaceful relationships are inspired by the way he lived his life. He always put peace before everything else. And so it was his commitment to peace that allowed him to be in a relationship with his brother-in-law for a business relationship with his brother-in-law for so many years. And they emerged as good friends just as they had begun. But I, that is the exception rather than the rule. I mean, he was an exceptional person. Okay, any other thoughts or questions on 17 and 18? Okay. Nineteen. So this is about the opposite. The opposite of putting peace as your priority. All right. 19. Ohave pesha ohave matza. He who loves strife loves transgression. Interesting. The word matzah is translated as transgression here. Magbia pischo ho mevakesh shaver. One who makes his entrance high seeks disaster. Okay. What on earth does this mean? One who makes his entrance high, the word is magbia. Magbia means to like um to, to make yourself big. Gavoha in Hebrew means tall, right? To, to sort of enlarge yourself or to expand yourself. This person is inviting disaster. Okay, so the meaning, the meaning of this teaching. So go to the commentary on page 183. If a person loves strife and rancorous discord to the point of physical blows, it is either because he loves transgression and, and criminal wrongdoing. I don't know why the word matzah is used here. I have to research that. Um, so some people just really like doing the wrong thing. They, they're just not rule followers. They think that Going according to the rules is like for sissies, or I don't even, I don't know. I have a hard time understanding this mentality for obvious reasons, but there are some people who just like, they can't, or I shouldn't say can't, they won't follow the straight and narrow. They feel, these are people who feel that rules were meant to be broken, right? So either because they love transgression and criminal wrongdoing, or because he is haughty, thinking himself superior to the common folk, right? Right. I remember reading this book called "The Book," uh, not the book thief. Um, shoot, what was it called? Maybe Sherry. I think you were the one who told me about it. Uh, it was about this rabbi who actually grew up in Cleveland, and he ended up living this life as a con man. And he, I mean, he wasn't a rabbi then. And eventually, he moved to California and he reformed his life and he became a rabbi. It was called the something thief. Okay, I'll have to look. It, I'll have to look it up was for you. Was it bicycle thief? No. Uh-huh. The Holy Thief. Thank you, The Holy Thief. That's it. The, the Thief. Holy Thief. It's an incredible book and when holy the Thief. author writes about how did he come to enter a life of crime? Um he talks about actually being part of a synagogue here in Cleveland and his father passed away when he was a teenager and he was trying to get into the synagogue on Yom Kippur And he did not have a ticket and the reason he didn't have a ticket is because he didn't have any money and he was turned away from the synagogue and he he cites that as a turning point in his life where he decided that living life according to the rules was not for him and then an uncle who was connected to the mob ended up getting a hold of him and being like well here's how you can make money and here's how you can make money and he ended up getting addicted to the drama, and he was addicted to other things as well, but he ended up getting addicted to the drama and the excitement of breaking the rules and getting away with it, that for many years, he could not fathom not doing it. He tried to stop many times, literally an addiction, right? And a part of it was definitely this haughtiness that's being quoted in our verse here, because he is haughty, thinking himself superior to the common folk. Like, I don't need to go get a job and make money like a regular, boring, normal person. I can make money in a much more exciting, much more get rich quick scheme kind of way. I'm smarter than everybody else. I'm better than everybody else. I have figured out how to outsmart everybody else. It's really fascinating. For me, one of the most interesting parts of reading the book is, I mean, you don't often read about Jews in organized crime like that, um, but just his honesty, the author's honesty with who he was during those years was just so instructive from a Musser perspective. I really found it very, very enlightening. Okay, so back to the commentary. If metaphorically he is a lowly small house with only the entrance raised high, he enters society displaying hauteur, he will meet disaster. So this is such such an interesting metaphor. If you look at the second half of the verse, right? Where it says one who makes his entrance high seeks disaster. So it's like, imagine that this man, what this verse is trying to say is imagine there's this person who's trying to walk into his house, right? Now in this house, the entrance is very high, but the ceiling is very low. So you hold yourself super, super tall and you walk through this house. But the minute you walk into the house, you're going to get hit in the head with something because only the entrance is high. The interior ceiling is very low. So he's saying this is the metaphor of the person, this person. He holds himself very high. Look at me. I get away with all this stuff. I'm so smart. I made all this money. I figured out how to cut all these corners. And here are all these losers who are being law-abiding citizens, right? But the actual house, so the entrance is very high. But the actual house is very low. Him as a human being, his character is very low. So this person is ultimately going to meet disaster. It's not possible for this person to not get hurt. And this is a theme that we've seen several times throughout this book, where King Solomon is trying to reassure us that when you see people like this in the world, who constantly seem to skate by, by not doing the right thing and not following the rules and getting away with murder, and King Solomon seems to really want to reassure us And say, do not let those people mess with your head. There is justice in this world. There is karma. He doesn't call it karma. (laughs) He calls it God. And these people are going to meet the disaster by the trap that they set. It's not possible for a person to continue in that deceptive path indefinitely. It will, guaranteed, catch up with them at some point. So don't find yourself frustrated by that lifestyle or maybe even impressed with that lifestyle or maybe even for some people tempted by that lifestyle. He's like, trust me when I tell you, it is not worth it. There is only one end to that lifestyle and that is disaster. You know, and I, I I, also try to tell this to my daughter who's in middle school when, you know, she seems she sees some girls who seem to like they're always messing with different friendships. And now I'm talking to you about her and now I'm talking to her about you and now I'm your friend and now I'm not your friend. And I, I tell her, I'm like, those are the drama girls. <laughs> and I'm like, you'll see those are not the girls who are left with friends at the end of the day, because one by one, they're going to burn out their friendships and people, people ultimately. Yes. When you're in seventh grade, maybe that's exciting. But ultimately, people want to be friends with a steady, stable presence, a person who's not constantly like messing with your head and making you wonder if you're really, you know, a friend. It's not sustainable. It's not a sustainable lifestyle. Okay. So that's number 19. Any thoughts or comments on 19?
1: I would You just pretty much said it, but my the, my thoughts went straight to gossip. Um, and just how it's like that bad thing and it's enticing and it's drama and it connects people. But at the end of the day, it's just not the best way to connect with somebody and make a relationship. And those relationships usually end up really kind of not, um, I was going to say maybe toxic or just not enjoyable. I'll leave it at that.
0: Right. And it's so true. And even the friends that you're supposedly connecting with over your gossip, like eventually people will come to understand that the gossipy person is not the person that you can trust. Right. People are not going to confide in people like that because they know that their secrets are not safe.
1: Absolutely. Right. So I just saw, I just saw a recent phrase that said, um, You can be sure that if your friend talks to you about someone else, they're gonna talk to someone else about you.
0: Mm -hmm. Sobering but true. Sherry, you're on mute.
1: Sorry about that. This I don't know if anybody's seen this very difficult, I don't recommend this for everybody, movie called Painkiller, which is a six-part kind of docu-series also with Matthew Broderick playing Dr. Sackler and the whole opioid. And it's it's not, I don't, I really don't recommend it for everybody. It's very triggering. It's very dark. It's very sad. But it's a lot about what you're saying. And nothing about him um, is really good. And it's very evil. And um, it just reminds me about how every time we just finished it last night, and I really wanted to see it for a variety of reasons. But it reminds me of what you were saying about Jews. I'm so disgusted that they were all Jewish and that this family did this. I mean, really created. um, I hope nobody knows them. But really, I mean, it's, it's evil what they did. And it's just uh, really sad. It reminds me of when we discussed Madoff. So I just thought I'd mention yeah. that we can add the Sacklers sadly to the Madoff group because it's it's horrifying.
0: Mm-hmm. They
1: literally knew what they were doing.
0: Yeah,
1: and uh, it's hard I to watch. To
0: the, Jews I, yeah, Falling I to from a Grace. sorry There's no, another one. Yeah, dope. I listened to it's a different podcast about them. It was called um, I can't remember what it was called actually. But I, the whole time I was listening to the story, I was like, I was feeling personally ashamed. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's how I feel. I, right. So that's why I said, I don't re- recommend it for everybody. Um, But it is, it's the exact thing that I'm only bringing it up because it's the exact thing that you're yeah. saying. And we finished it last night and um, it's horrifying. It's horrifying.
0: Yeah. Is the medical school at Hebrew University still Sackler Medical School?
1: I don't know. They've taken their name off oh, of almost okay. all buildings, as far as this movie is mentioned. Um, at least the museums they mention specifically New York buildings. Names come down from um, big institutions and a lot of um, a lot of schools, but I'm not sure exactly.
0: Uh, I'll, uh, that's easy to check out.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. Terrible.
0: Anyway. Yeah. Thank you, Sherry. Sure. <clears throat> Okay, any other thoughts or comments so far? Okidok. 20. A person who has a perverse heart will find no good. And one with a fickle tongue falls into evil. Okay, so we're talking about somebody with a perverse heart, which will explain what that means. This person will find no good. And then we we talked about the the perverse heart and the fickle tongue. Right. This always refers to the power of speech, that the person with the fickle tongue, the Hebrew for fickle is (inaudible) Nehepach Bil Shono. Nehepach means to turn something over or to turn something around. Right. So a fickle tongue is like, you know. You say one thing today and you say another thing tomorrow, you are flip-flopping. You're, you know, kind of two-faced or whatever the word is like, um, not two-faced, but sort of
2: fucking out the both sides of your mouth.
0: Thank you. Exactly. Yes. Uh, in, in your, in your tongue. So there's the heart and there's the tongue, right? And these two people are going to, these two types of people are going to come to no good. All right. So, the commentary says if a person's heart denoting his faculty of self control, it's actually interesting. I think I mentioned this before that whenever it says lave in the Torah, lave, which is translated as heart, it doesn't mean your physical heart, the organ that pumps blood. It actually means the mind. Okay. Because, you know, we say like the heart is the seat of your emotions, and people are like, oh, like they put their hand on their heart but really the seat of your emotions is not the organ called your heart the seat of your emotions is the organ called your brain right that's there's that's where it comes from okay so this person with a perverse heart which means that they um their their faculty of self control which stays in your brain which lives in your brain follows perverse ways of unwisdom even if his mind seeks the good way he will not find it So we see, we understand and we know that a person often has a battle, right, where part of you wants something very badly and the other part of you does not want to want that thing or does not want to do that thing or have that thing, right? Your alarm rings in the morning and part of you really, really wants to get up and take on your day and do everything you said you were going to do. And I'm going to get up and work out and wash my face and take a shower and make a good breakfast and blah, 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 blah. So I really want to get up early and take on the day. Also, I really, really, really want to turn off my alarm and go back to sleep, right? I I actually find it interesting that, you know, there's this common meme that goes around where it says, me, this is what I think, also me, and this is the opposite thought, right? Have you guys seen that? Where we have these totally opposite and oppositional thoughts I really, really, really want X. Also, I really, really, really want the opposite of X. Both of those are me. The question is, which is the me that is my higher self and which is the me that is my lower self? And therefore, I need my function of self-control and discipline to choose the voice of my higher self instead of the voice of my lower self. So the voice of my higher self is the one that's telling me to get up out of bed and take on my day. The voice of my lower self is the one that's telling me to shut off the alarm and go back to bed. The voice of my higher self is telling me to be calm and patient with my triggering child. The voice of my lower self is to give them a piece of my mind. Okay. So back to the commentary. Uh, If a person's heart follows perverse ways of unwisdom, even if his mind seeks the good way, he will not find it. So here is a battle within a person of following a perverse path versus seeking the good path that can be gained only through the wisdom of tradition. So this is sort of what I was saying before about my grandfather, right? When you have a tradition, a precedent, a teaching to fall back on the wisdom of your ancestors. You can channel stories of the Torah, things that you've learned. You know, for me, like I might think about what would my grandfather have done? What would my grandmother do? What would my father, what would my mother say? What would my in-laws do? And I think about these precedents and these traditions that have come before me, right? Where when I find myself in a battle with myself, I can go back to previous examples and say, okay, wait, but That's not what they would do, or that's not how they behaved. And then it can clarify for me who I really want to be in my highest self. Yet he may avoid doing evil. Should he develop a fickle, treacherous tongue, however, right, Um, with false equations and philosophical inquiries into other faiths and beliefs leading to heresy, not only will he fail to find any good but he will fall into evil so a person who has this where the, with their power of speech they're trying to I actually just had a conversation with a woman who was describing this to me she's a, she's in a relationship with somebody and she she feels that this person would really benefit from torah guidance and her 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 family member is very bright and she's like i'm sure they would love to study torah this is like so perfect for them anyway the the family member was studying torah but she she was in a in a class with this person and a chabad rabbi and every time the chabad rabbi would get into a topic of self-improvement that touched a little too close to what this person needed to work on this person would change the subject and like very deftly figure out a way to talk about something else so Even if you are supposedly there because you want to do better, right? It's like your fickle tongue can find a way to divert and deviate and talk about something else and refuse to face your stuff or really be honest about where your inconsistencies are, you know, because we're very, you know, we're very clever that way. If we're trying to avoid confrontation or we're trying to avoid owning up to our garbage, We can find a way to sweet talk ourselves out of pretty much anything, right? And that's what the second half of this verse is talking about. This perverse, what is it? This fickle tongue. Fickle meaning not only that, you know, what I said before, is that sometimes I say this and sometimes I say that, but also a fickle tongue, which can be a traitor to who you really want to be. Your your words can betray you and and I really want to improve, but... I also really don't want to improve because improving is so annoying. Okay. And then with my tongue, I can figure out a way to make it somebody else's fault or to figure out how to evade responsibility, or this is not really a problem. Let me explain to you why, right? So your tongue can be a traitor to who you really want to be. And that's why studying Musser is so vital because it helps us become, if nothing else, it helps us to become self-aware when we are making stuff up <laughs> because we don't want to own up to what we really need to work on. you know. And even as we're saying it where we're like, oh, no, I totally don't need to do that. And then in our heads, we're thinking, oh, yes, I totally do need to work on that. So even if we're being dishonest, at least we are aware of our dishonesty. And that is a huge accomplishment. So all this muster study sensitizes us to when we're doing this kind of fickle, perverse thing where we say something and we don't really mean it or we pretend that we don't really notice where our work is, but really in our minds, we're like, I, I, see, I see what you're doing, Ruchi. Yep, I'm on to your game. I got you. So that kind of self-awareness is what's so valuable in muster study that when we do, we all have this, you know, perverse heart syndrome, I'll call it. We all have, you know, fickle tongue syndrome. We've all been there and we've all done that. And that's okay. As long as we're honest about where our work is. You know, I, I said this, I think in my Tuesday class and, um, i had a funny conversation with my daughter this morning because you know in in the morning me and my two daughters were in the kitchen getting ready and my one daughter is making her iced coffee and i'm making smoothies and um i was i was in the middle of making myself a smoothie and i saw that there was no milk so my daughter hindi went into the uh, garage to get another bottle of milk so i i saw that she was in the garage i wasn't sure why she was there. i said oh hindi once you're in the garage can you please get me a bottle of milk she goes yes that's what I'm doing. I'm going to get you a bottle of milk because I am the most awesome daughter that ever lived. <laughs> so we were all in a very good mood this morning. I'm not really sure why. So I said, you know, it's so funny. I said I just said something in my um, in my Tuesday class. I was quoting. I think I think it was the Kutzka Rebbe, this Chassidic Rabbi. He said, a tzaddik, a righteous person who thinks he's a tzaddik, right? So a righteous person who thinks he's a righteous person is not a righteous person, and a Russia, a wicked person who thinks he's a Russia is not a Russia. Okay. So if you're righteous and you think you're righteous, you're not righteous. If you're wicked, but you know, you're wicked, you're not wicked. So she was thinking about that for a second. And she's like, oh, so if I'm like the best daughter in the world, but I know that I'm the best daughter in the world, then I'm not the best daughter in the world. (laughs) I said, well, I didn't say that. She goes, well, she says to me, Tati, that's what my my kids call my husband. It's father in Yiddish. She goes, Tati is such a Tatik. Do you think he knows he's a totic? I said no, he doesn't think he's a totic. She goes, "He doesn't?" I said, "No, he thinks he has so much more work to do." She's like, "I, why can't he see himself the way he really is?" <laughs> so I said, because if he would be a and he knew he was a sadist, then he wouldn't be a anymore. <laughs> so that was our conversation this morning. Um but what I'm thinking about here is this honesty that I'm talking about, right? As we're like making stuff up or talking out of both sides of our mouth, we're on to our own game. We're being honest, right? So then we're not so then we're not a bad person anymore because we know what we're doing. We're, we're on to our own game. The minute you're on to your own game, you are already on the path of righteousness, right? Okay. So that is a good place to conclude for today. Any closing thoughts or comments, ladies?
2: I loved how you said that you draw Padma wisdom of your um, grandparents Mm -hmm. or your dad. Um, And it just reminded me of when Joseph is struggling with, is it Potiphar? Yeah. And then he thinks of his father and is able to be like, yeah, I'm not going to have this affair. <laughs> mm,
0: yeah, right. He sees his uh, he's a, he's about to get into this affair, and he sees his father in his mind's eye, right? And he's like, nope, can't do yes. this. Yeah. Very
2: powerful.
0: That's great. Thank you, Heather. <laughs> Any other thoughts before we conclude? Okay. Thanks, everybody, for participating. It's great to see all of you today. Thank you. Good Have a great Shabbat and a Shabbat beautiful Shabbat shalom. Thank you. Thank you. That yes, was great. You- Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Nechama. Thank you. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.